a word from our sponsor. I'm Rusty Keeley. I'm the CEO of the Keeley Companies. My dad, Larry Keeley, started the business, and we're really able to take his entrepreneurial spirit, his commitment to family, and we're able to take that platform and grow it. We didn't lose customers. We just kept adding to customers because we did quality work and we took care of our people. When somebody takes something and makes a success, oh, something you started, it's uh, very special. Our people are special because of, of how much they care about what it is that they do. I've been here for 23 years, uh, started in 96 with a shovel in my hand. We have some of the most incredible people around. Innovators, we have thinkers. You know, we just have people that are passionate about life. The people that make up Keeley are everything good. The people first culture that has led to their amazing success and growth is exactly why we are honored to have them as our partners. Learn more about our partners and friends at their website. It is at KeeleyCompanies.com. One more time, KeeleyCompanies.com. Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. You'll never write anything worthwhile. I'm going to say that again because this is a quote that our guest today heard from his 11th grade English teacher. You'll never write anything worthwhile. Well, since hearing that encouragement, Scott Stratton, he is the president of Unmarketing. You may have heard of that business, Unmarketing, because he's also got a book by the same name. Unmarketing is a wildly successful international best-selling book, but it's only one of six that this gentleman has written with the help of his partner, his wife, her name is Allison. It's an incredible love story that these two share, but you're also gonna hear an awful lot about the business side of things. Turns out that Scott and Allison have partnered with organizations you may have heard of little businesses like Walmart and Pepsi and Adobe and IBM, Microsoft, among many, many, many others. What I enjoy most about Scott is the fact that not only is he brilliant, super wise guy, but he's very self-effacing. He does not take himself all that seriously. And that's pretty impressive for a guy who has achieved the level of success he has. He's a good guy. He's passionate not only about work, but about his family. And he's incredibly passionate in making sure that you are clear on how you can take the next best step forward in your journey, regardless of what you've heard from others or maybe what you've whispered to yourself occasionally through limiting beliefs that you can't do something. Well, Scott will remind you today that you can. And not only that, but specifically on how to take the next right step. So brothers and sisters, boys and girls, listeners, family and friends, I'd like you to buckle up, get ready for a ride, grab a journal, grab a pen, and get ready to take some notes as I bring on my friend, and now yours, his name is Scott Stratton. Scott, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. Thank you for having me, John. This is, uh, I've been looking forward to this since we booked it, so let's do this. 
Well, it was four minutes ago. So I, I, like you, I'm really grateful that for the last three and a half minutes, you've been excited about this. <laughs> and the reality is we've had this on our calendar for quite a while. Mm-hmm. I've been a big fan of yours for quite a while. Reread your stuff over the weekend, getting ready for today, have watched your videos, heard you speak. But for the few who may not have read on marketing or Jackass Whisperer or whatever else it might have been or see you speak somewhere along the line, Scott, if, if we were to bump into you in a grocery store, socially distanced, six feet, mask on, everything else, and they say, hey, Scott, what do you, what do, you do for a living? How do you respond to that? I speak about if you believe that business is built on relationships, make building them your business. That's it. That's the whole thing. It's, it's about people. It's about treating people well and building relationships with them. I'm not, I don't want to live in a buy or goodbye world. I want to live in a world that we are in a community. And you think in this room and in this world where it feels so frequently like buy or goodbye or left or right or Democrat, Republican, whatever the issue might be, you're either with me or you're against me. You feel like there's room for nuance. I, I, I think there is. And, I, and I'm working on this, John. Like this is, I, I am a work in progress, which I hope mo- a lot of people are, but it's, it's I'm becoming, I don't know, as I get older, I, I, I look less black and white. I look less extremes and I'm trying to, understand the fact that look it, people are complicated yeah. and and the problem is when i when we label somebody this or this you have nowhere to go with that and, and i really think and this, it's the same way in business it's the same way whether it's departmentally company-wise industry-wise if we just paint everything with a brush then we have nowhere to go and we've we, we've stopped listening we've stopped learning and that's the two kind of death knells i think in, in not only business but people so listening and learning, great place to begin. Rather than talking about unmarketing or Twitter or anything else that might mm-hmm. be front and center of your work in life today, I want to go way back in time, several decades west of Toronto, a city where I've been many, many, many times. I love where you are from. So let's talk about where you're from and what life was like for you growing up. T- tell our listeners and our viewers where you grew up and who some of the influences were in your life as a kid. Yeah, I'm a, a very proud Canadian and uh, I was born in Burlington, Ontario, which is a suburb of Toronto. Lived in Ottawa for a while. And most of my life has been right where I am right now, which is Oakville, Ontario, which is yeah. a two suburbs removed um, uh, of of the fine city of Toronto. And honestly, um, I grew up in a way that uh, um, I summed this up with my mom, is that when my older brother was complaining about what I was doing, whether it was taking my time walking to school or on the soccer field, picking grass instead of playing defense. My brother would be just livid. My mom would just say one thing and it's always stuck with me. And she just says, let Scott be Scott. And that was it. And I think that's one of the, um, one of the best things a parent can do, which I've tried mm. to do with our children, which is be just let them be themselves. And sometimes they don't know what that is and you have to give them some leeway to figure that out. And so that's what my mom did for me. And when I was 12, I was sitting, I remember it vividly. I was sitting in our living room in Oakville, different house, but in Oakville. And this is back in the day, this is an 87. So uh, we didn't have, you know, all the fancy dancy things we have now. And we didn't have a remote for the TV. So when the TV was on a certain channel in the living room, that's where it stayed for three to four days. You know, <laughs> you wanted to get yourself up, you know, and forget about it. So I was sitting there and I was watching a, a WNED Buffalo channel which was the the pbs the news station in buffalo across the lake ontario and uh they were doing a pledge drive as they do and they're like for 37 dollars a month or whatever the number was we will send you a vhs copy of this less brown motivational talk and and we're gonna play it for you now 
And they played it. And I sat there mesmerized in my living room. And my mom came in and, and I'm like, mom, is this, is this a job? I'm like, can I just yell at people and go home? <laughs> and she's like, if you work your, if you work hard enough. <laughs> and uh, literally, John, from 12, that was the goal was to be on stage speaking. And Les Brown was my first introduction to what a, what a heck of a person to be your first introduction to speaking in that, that world. Fast forward 15 or so years no, but 20 yeah. years later, I'm on stage at a Les Brown event speaking. And, and, um, you know, things happened in between that, but it was, I, I still remember it now. I always wanted to be a speaker. I always wanted to be a performer. I was a lead singer in high school for a lot of heavy metal bands. And, uh, um, I realized I didn't have the vocal chops to do it. So I started managing bands in Toronto. It was mostly my brother's band my older brother. Um, uh, but a couple of them, and I learned so much about business that way, but I always tell people I didn't have the vocal chops. So I fired the band and just stayed on stage. You know, and start you've speaking. Done, you've done well outside of the band work. I'm gonna. I'd like to hear more about Les Brown. Yeah, probably one of the finest Mount Rushmore type speakers. Agreed. In the world, not only as uh, as a guy able to articulate points and cadence and everything else that a speaker might be learned, but a man who is the same off stage as he is on. So here you are, 12 years old in Canada, watching an American PBS station. And all of a sudden they throw up some Les Brown speaker. What was it about Les that immediately grabbed you? Just captivating, John. It was just, I could not stop watching. I could not, nothing else existed. Right. And that's when you learn the power of storytelling, the power of your voice and your power. And I knew, I knew I had a, a certain voice. It's just that there's a resonation in my voice. I know, like right now, there's a, just a thing there that I knew I could use it. I could be, I, I you know, I wanted to also be a game show host or a DJ <laughs> or uh, all those things. But I knew there's just, there's a power in people and there's a power in your voice. And, and then just filled it, it filled with so much hope when you watch that. And as a 12 year old, like, you know, I don't know if you know what hope means as a 12 year old, but it gave me hope. <laughs> for totally. things and and i didn't know i was missing it and if i you know if, as a 12 year old could do that and to hear it and like wow and that just led me in a path of of things that resonate and 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 emotional which led to me open having i had a viral marketing company for almost a decade and uh just seeing why things resonate with people i always found that fascinating i had a guy that i listened to on a cassette tape named captain charlie plum Captain Charlie Plum was a Vietnam veteran who spent, I think, eight years in an internment camp in Vietnam going through all kinds of abuse. And he was friends during those eight years with guys like John McCain and others who endured this, this difficult time together. What I remember thinking is how impressed I was by him and the way my life was better because of him. But I'll be honest with you. I never once thought at age 11 hearing that recording that I had the chops to <laughs> hold the mic to stand on stage and to have anyone in my family or beyond my family be moved by my story. How did you know at that age, age 12, man, you're a kid. Yeah, well. Up. You don't know what hope means. How did you recognize at that point in your life that, yeah, I think I could do this someday? Well, first off, uh, uh, a shout out to uh, Captain Plum. He's a wonderful human, a wonderful man. And uh, I could listen to him all day, every day. Me too. And uh, uh, one of the things you have to know about me is that um, I don't get nervous. And that's, that, is, that is, let me be very clear, that is not a skill or a talent. 
I was born missing a synapse in my brain, I think, that says, wet your pants, you know, before you go on stage. Like, you're so nervous. And I never had that. And that's when I was when I was 12. I, I was already speaking in front of the class, you know, run for class president. And I just did it. Yeah. And that's actually how I pretty much made it out of high school and how I graduated college was my ability to stand in front of the room and do it. And it's just out of luck, out of pure luck, John, that I could, I, that I just, did, I don't get nervous. And so when people ask me, well, how do you, you know, how do you get away nerves? I don't know because I haven't had them. I know the typical things, you know, you can rehearse, you can prepare, you can da, 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 da. but it just wasn't there. Like right now, it's just, I feel the same now as I did 20 years ago when I started doing some speaking or when I was 12, they just said, go speak about this in front of these people. And I'm like, name the topic and the number of people go. And I, I just love it. I just, I, I honestly feel I'm so, so privileged and so fortunate to find the thing that's mm. my thing. And then I can get paid to do it and make a living from it. So I've heard you tell audiences around the world how fortunate you feel to not work you know like <laughs> for those listening there's a joke there you know yes, there's there a is. joke that here you there are in is. hampshire florida or vegas and you are indeed working this is this is a lot of work to do yeah. speaking at a high level that's yeah. obvious it's a great joke but you feel that way because you get to do the thing that is your thing and before you and i hit record and i've heard you whisper about this in the past but i'll let you roar it out now I think some presenters, some speakers, some authors, some singers like to sing, produce, work, write, because it makes them feel even better about themselves, because it allows them to get the applause that they so badly crave. For you, that's that's really not what this is about. When you take the stage, what are you hoping that the audience might receive? I, I honestly, honestly, just like the show right now, I want them to to coming in to see me talk, listening to this right now. I want you to think whenever you're finished listening, watching, that that was time well spent. Mm. I think the biggest insult we can do to each other is waste each other's time. And I, I just think that in a world of a lot of self-serving things and, and, and a lot of people just, what's in it for me, what's in it for me, that my goal is to, is to be able to, it, it, it sounds cheesy, but honestly, it's true to my core. I want to give. And I want to, I'm, I am so again, fortunate to have this skill set and to have this ability and a, a market that wants it, that I get up there, John, and it just doesn't, I can't, I can't describe it. I can't describe being on stage. And when you're talking and people either are nodding their heads or they're really intently listening, you know, the look and that you, you can affect them and you mm. can affect them that can help them and they can come up after the talk. It's such a wonderful, cause it fuels me as well. That's the selfish part. I get the most being on stage than the audience does because it's just, I, I'm not excited. I'm not nervous. I'm not, I'm just, it's just where I, I feel at home on that. And I feel that. And when, the, when they come to you afterwards and they talk and they tell you what the, the talk was for them, I just, I have to pinch myself mm. every single time that I that like from 12 to now that I can, not waste their time and they can go and then take it and use it and walk away with it and bring it to their team or the whatever they're going to do with it. I just, and to be honest with you, even if I just made them laugh a bit, that's right. And it's been like, I did one today. I did a webinar for, for nurses in our area and like anybody in the world that needs a little bit of laughter and smile, you know, is, is, is our, is nurses right now. And, and that was it. That was my reward today. When I could see them laughing in the corner of my eye on the screen and I could see like, that's all, that's what I need. That's all I need. And that makes me feel whole. So 
you and I, I think, shared an experience of struggling a bit as we tripped our way forward through school. And in my 11th grade year, there was a gentleman named Mr. Kirkland, who my English teacher, who believed when I could barely put two sentences together that I could. And I didn't see it at all. And, and I didn't see it in college. I didn't see it after college. I didn't really even begin to see it until mid thirties. And even then I needed guys like Brian Buffini, a mutual friend who yeah. said, John, you can do this, but you've got to try, you've got to believe you've got to take yeah. the next best step. And yeah. so I began doing that. But this gentleman back in 11th grade saw something in me. I did not see in myself. You, my friend, Scotty had a different experience in 11th grade. You had a teacher who told you you would never write anything ever. No. They had never, not even to write something. He sent me down for extra help um, and didn't think I could comprehend reading and writing. And uh, it was, I, I, have a, I have a strained relationship with uh, William Shakespeare. Um, <laughs> you know, I, uh, we share the same birthday. Um, and that's about as far as it goes to how much I want to relate to the person. Um, I just didn't get it. Um, and uh, Allison has helped me understand <laughs> those type of things nowadays. But... Uh, it was, you know, Shakespeare is, 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 is meant to be watched, not read. And, uh, um, and I just, I was having none of it. And, uh, he, I handed in an assignment though. And it was supposed to be a newspaper, a, a, a fake newspaper based on a Shakespeare play, a front page and headline. So I made it and I am not the best artist or I am not neatest. I can, my grade four teacher did call my writing chicken scratch. And I thought that was a matter of pride. I didn't realize she was insulting me and I, I made it by hand and everything else. And then I came to class and he's like, you need to go down to this, this office down here and they, they need to talk to you. I'm like, okay, like whatever. Me in high school, wasn't exactly a, the pride and joy of places, but I'm like, okay. And I went down and they sat with me and they said, can you read out this sentence? And it said, see spot run. And I said, see spot run. He's like, read the next one. And I read the next one. And I'm like, why am I here? He's like, well, uh, your teacher was concerned about your English assignment. If you look at it and they had the assignment, it says, this makes no English sense. And I looked at the person. I looked down at the project again. I looked at them and I said, it's in columns. They were reading it straight across like an essay instead of the three columns I had put them in. Now, mind you, could I put a bigger gap between the columns or could I put a marker down? Sure, but we would just butt heads. My grade 12 English teacher, I got into an argument with, and he's like, if you don't like what I'm doing in class, you can leave. And I said, sweet. And I got up and I walked to the office and I like, I like to drop advanced English. And they said, you need the credit still to graduate, but you can go down to general English one level down. And I'm like, done dropped down, went to class, and it was a bunch of people like me, hooligans, and it was awesome. And, but I walked in and I'm like, I'm not doing it. And I'm like, I'm not reading anything again. You know, that typical, you know, teenager of you tell me to do, and now I'm not doing it. And he said, okay, everybody, we're going to uh, read the book, The Elephant Man. And I said, uh, hey, teach, there's a movie. <laughs> and he's like, I'm aware there's a movie, but I'm gonna make you a deal read this one book. We have seven books this semester. And then you watch the movie in class. And when the movie's over, if you can honestly tell me that the movie was better than the book, you don't have to read any more books this semester. And I'm like, you're on. And so I read it begrudgingly, enjoyed it. Yeah. Watched the movie, stops, he stops the VCR, looks up and he says, Stratton, 
And I'm like, damn it. The book was better. And I read seven books of Mice and Men, Elephant Man. I just went through, I just couldn't stop reading. And Mr. Penman, who was my teacher, was the one, he and one other teacher, Mr. Berrigan, my grade 11 math teacher, which was my third time taking it, were the ones who believed in me. And they were the ones I invited to my Hall of Fame, my college where I got into the Hall of Fame. I invited them because they are the reason I made it out of high school. They are the reason to say, look, this guy isn't, well, he was a, a jerk, but uh, there's also something there. Called me on it, and I've never forgotten that, John. I've never forgotten mm. any of those things, and that sticks with you. When, when you affect people, they don't forget you. And I just think it's so beautiful. Before you believed in yourself, you've got these guys, these teachers, overworked leaders serving you, pouring into you. It's so much easier just to like chalk it up, move them on. Not my problem. And yet they believed and they believed in this kid that could not really form beautiful sentence structure, but eventually would. I want to hear about your, your first talk. I've seen pictures of your first talk at a library. <laughs> White walls, I understand, was the plan. Burnt orange shirt to really contrast that beautifully. Yeah. What was called Work Your Life. Yeah, that's my first company. That was my first. So when I started out speaking, I figured I was going to be, you know, the Canadian Tony Robbins, the Canadian Les Brown, the, you know, the motivational type of guy. So it was Work Your Life. And the whole theory about it was you have to enjoy your work and your life. You can't just enjoy a weekend and, you know, five weekdays doesn't equal two days on the weekend to enjoy it. And so it was always about finding, finding the good, finding the joy and the connection every day, which is still leaked into the work I do now somewhat. Totally. And, I, and I did love it, but I, so I realized, okay, what speakers need a few things. And I, I had learned back, even back then, um, I was on a committee when I was in college for the HRPAO was called at the time, which is the biggest Canadian HR event. I went to school for HR and that's what I went into in, in the, uh, corporately for uh, two years. And then I was a trainer, a sales trainer for two years. And then that was it because I couldn't work for people anymore. And uh, I always say entrepreneur is Latin for a uh, bad employee. And uh, that's exactly what I was. So I realized, okay, I need a demo. So like speakers need three things is what I learned. So with HRPAO, I was on a committee that selected speakers. I went to the other side first to see how it worked mm. before I became one. And it was, you needed three things. You needed three T's, topics, testimonials, and trailers, right? You needed, what do you talk about? Let me see you talk about it. And let me hear somebody else who's seen you talk about it. So I said, okay, I need a video. So back then, you know, it was different. This is, again, this is about 20 years ago now. And I hired a, a film crew. So like these are broadcast level cameras being trucked in. Fortune. You know, these giant tripods and, you know, and we're doing the master tape and then duplicates. And so I went and picked the, picked the place, scouted the location. And I went to the Oakville Public Library and saw one of the meeting rooms. And I'm like, it fits the budget. It's $30. Okay, I could do that. And, and you know, beige, white wall. It's a library. So I'm like, I had just had been in a friend's wedding party and they gave us these these burnt orange dress shirts. And I'm like, <laughs> badass. Yeah, I love that. It's going to contrast perfectly paid through the nose for this camera crew, like got a loan to do it. Like, it was just like, I need this. Invited everybody I knew and did all these type of things. And then I show up the day of, and between the day I looked at the place and the day of the talk, they painted the walls to a kind of maroon pinkish, <laughs> which I don't, I don't expect everybody to understand the color palette and scale right now. But if you put the worst two colors together, that would be burnt orange and whatever this maroon pinkish <laughs> wall was with my broadcast crew. 
And then barely anybody showed up. My family came and then two people that were there for, I think, yoga later on. They just got the time screwed up. Like it was just. They're in the room. Yeah, but but I always I always kept this one thing in my brain forever in speaking. Was it, it because everybody's going to have that? Everybody in speaking. If you're listening now and you 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 want to do more speaking or you maybe you want to be a professional speaker, we're all going to have those gigs, right? I've spoken in a mall food court, got heckled from the second floor above me. I've like all the like it's going to happen to everybody and everybody, and if it hasn't. Then you're just a, you're mostly lying, and I don't believe you. So this you know this this whole side of it was looking at it and saying, okay, so <laughs> what am I going to do? Like, what are you, what are you going to do with it? And you just, I had to use that tape and that got me some other gigs. And then, then I made a better one and then I made a better one, but it was this whole thing of understanding that this is what I want to do. And I got to put the work in and I got to get the reps. Mm. And that's for me because I never rehearsed. I never practiced because of that nerves thing again and all that type of stuff. I just, I, I always found that um, the best rehearsal for me was on stage, which isn't the best thing to do, but it was, I could improvise really well and riff. That's dangerous because you can't stay on time usually riffing, but it was the ability that I could hold the room. So I just it kept getting those. real though. Yeah. And as you wash and repeat, I mean, you, you've honed your craft now. It's uh, highly rehearsed, but it also allows you to have the the color to go where you need to go as the audience moves with you. And the goal is to make it feel like that's the, you know, I'm only talking to them and it's the first time I've ever said it. And every bit, and I form my speaking, I, I really look to professional comedians for timing and cadence. And I just think they're the best at it. Um, and also they're just like feet to the fire, right? It's just like, you know, I, like, I've never gotten booed, right? And like I've done, you know, oh, I think 500 keynotes in the past tech, 10 years before the pandemic. And like I never once even got a hiss or a slightly off thing and these uh, these 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 comedians will go in there and they could just get stuff thrown at them so i'm like i their lives depend on them <laughs> getting it well so i i watch them study them and love them and it's it's all about for me was every single story in there that's been told now hundreds of times potentially started off as almost like an impulsive bit where because it's like if, for example i had a middle bit in a lot of my talks which was a qr code rant um, and you know, one of the books is called QR codes, kill kittens. And it was like a, a good solid bit in the middle. But then one day I'm at an event in Buffalo, New York, home of WNED Buffalo. And I'm at an event speaking to, I think it was, um, uh, higher education, uh, marketing people. So colleges and universities. And I was, ha I just, I had enough of the generalization of millennials, um, because us and Gen X, you know, we didn't like it. We and like, we're just doing it again. So I looked at Allison was at the event with me. And I looked to her and I said, you know what? I think I'm going to go off on this millennial bias sugar. And she's like, go get them. And so I just ranted for five minutes somewhere in there. And it's, it killed so much. And I'm like, oh, yep. Okay, we we're, on, we're, we're, we're getting the pulse. But something else has to come out. You only have a fixed amount of time. And so I said, okay, I looked at it all. I'm like, QR codes can come out. Millennials went in and it turned from a five-minute bit into an eight-minute bit into a 10. And now it's 15 to 20, depending on where I want to take it. And that's really because it's the best testing I can do is the audience. Like, I think I'm hilarious. It doesn't matter what I think. If it doesn't work, like I've tried to joke one of the one, I can't remember which one it was, but there's like, I tried it like 30 times in a little, like a one liner type of thing, never got a laugh. And I'm like, what's wrong with you people? It's so funny. And it's so, not. There's two things from this story that need uh, clearing up. Yeah. Number one is you, 
one of the beautiful things about the bit that you do, and the bit is now just who you are, even yeah. on marketing. Yeah. The joke is like kind of the joke. So you take them to the left, but it's ultimately to come back to the right, it to exactly like is, yeah. crossover dribble, say, oh, by the way, we've got it all wrong, people. Bingo. We've got it all wrong. So you do a phenomenal job of that. So congratulations. Thank you. The other thing is with great comedians, they take you down the path where you think they're going to completely, again, it's the crossover dribble approach. Yep. And then they bring it back. They bring it back. They bring it back. They bring it back again and again and again. One of the things I've appreciated about you as a presenter, even when the audience isn't at first ready to go along for the ride, you refuse to let them off. You, you refuse to stop the discourse with them or treat them as like two-dimensional. Now I'm just talking to a screen. I don't need the humanity. Yeah. You keep knocking on the door, making sure that they know you're coming through and it's time for them to wake up and come with you. So you talk about some presenters, I mm -hmm. think, when they realize the audience is asleep. Uh, okay, fine. I'm just going to speed dial this thing through yeah. and I'll leave it behind and come back and hopefully tomorrow I'll do better. Why don't you do that? Why do you not allow the audience to take a day off on you? I, I, I owe it to the client. I, I really do. I, I was, I, I'm brought into an event for a reason and that's not to be subtle. I'm, mm. not, I'm not hired to go through the motions. I'm not hired to repeat bullet points that they have brought up. I'm, I'm brought in to kick them in the ass. I, whether that's a marketing angle, a sales angle or leadership right. or whatever that is, you know, 90% of my talks are opening keynotes for conferences and that is not random. I wake them up and it's not about, it's not about yelling. It's not about like my short bio on our bio page is like the long form of short and the short one just says, Scott's going to yell a lot. Like that, that, that's the whole bio and they don't usually choose that one, but it's, 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 it's the point and it's passion. And, and I think one of the things about it is I speak like passion is my communication. Mm. And so it's not yelling the whole time. It's not like I, I even do the talk because it's different. If I came out and started the talk with the millennials bit and just for the people listening or watching is that I started and I, I talk it like the bit went viral on Facebook a couple of years ago and it went nuts, but it was this whole rant about millennials. So it's me ranting about millennials and I'm talking about, you know, Spotify and I talk about mixtapes and anyways, I'm ripping on them and I have a four page four slides of just pure text reading an article and the whole thing was to almost offend, almost offend millennials to the point where they're getting uncomfortable and then i want to get the room to the point the entire room's uncomfortable for a second and then you break the tension and that that's a comedian's tool that's yeah. a, that's a, that's a, and one of the best of that is a hannah gatsby she's just one of the best ways of of of, of building and breaking this tension and um uh, and nanette is a uh, is one of my favorite um, um viewings ever uh, watched it a dozen times and that ability to bring them along where they have no choice mm. because the whole thing is if I need you to feel that awkwardness for you to feel the payoff, which is why I'm there. So the millennial bit, I read that four, like all text that you've seen in the video, right? It's all just full text on the screen and I'm reading it. Like one of those people where I'm just reading the screen. <laughs> the thing I tell speakers not to do, I'm doing it on purpose. If the screen's behind me, I'm turned around staring at the screen. And I read it and I read it with gusto and I read it with, uh, you know, anger and I get all the older people on my side because at the very end, the very end of that four slide article is like, if you want to do something, do this, do this, move out of your parents' basement and blah, 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 blah. And some people start clapping and I'm like, you might want to hold that applause. And then I show the date, which is from Newsweek, October 31st, 1993, not last week. That's right. And everybody goes, oh, 
out and there's the big reveal. And then I look at everybody. I'm like, millennials, I got your back. And now I, now I flipped them. And that, but here's the, here's the key part of that though. It's in the middle. If you notice any talk I do at the start, I, I build slowly. I'm less animated. I'm less, my volume's lower. Mm. Because if I go full Stratton out of the gate, I promise you, I would, I would lose them because they don't, they have no frame of reference. I, I, I am very, fairly self-aware of my, my fame, which is very, very minimal. <laughs> so in the speaking industry, I'm fairly known in the marketing industry. I'm kind of known. I does I, I know where I stand at that, but in most conferences, I am unknown. That's right. And that's my favorite way to have it because I, I get on stage and they think it's the sound guy and I get up there and they have no idea what's going to happen. And that's where I want them to be is that because, and I lead them into it. So when I start, I open and I, most of my humor is self-depreciating. Mm. I open it with a man bun joke. And I walk out on stage and I'm like, uh, before we get started, I'll address the elephant in the room. Do you want me to, to explain the man bun now or at the end? And, and they all, ha ah, ha right. And they turn and I'm like, I know you were thinking about it. And I said, all right, so the top five reasons a 46 year old man or and now 46, 46 year old man has a man bun. Reason number one, my wife loves it. Reason number, actually that's the only reason, <laughs> right? And that's the whole thing. And, and that's the, and so it's disarming. And as soon as you come out of the gate and they're like, okay, this might be fun. That's it. If I can get you laughing, if you're laughing, that means you're listening. That's right. And if you're listening, that's where I get, that's where I can get them. And then I lead them along. And then in the middle, I'm just full blown Stratton. And by the end of it, you're just like, woof, good night, everybody, you know, and you kind of walk away. And that's on purpose uh, because the, you, it's a structure. You blend, and I forget the way you exactly frame this, compassion with anger. I think that's the way you say, John, mm -hmm. listeners, readers, Stratton does a phenomenal job blending compassion with anger. You really do. Uh, you. But you, the, the love piece is, is full blown. That's what I hear so clearly. And you, you do this not only with a man bun and a cool beard and a short sleeve black shirt that you wear everywhere, I think, even to bed. And I, <laughs> but also on your arms, man, you're tatted up a little bit. On your right arm, forearm, there's a word that I love. Would you read that for our listeners? Yeah, it says unlearn. And it's not a brand thing, by the way. People think, oh, good branding because we're on everything. Right. And it's not. Um, it's actually a screenshot from the end of a movie called Higher Learning from the 90s, great John Singleton film. Right. And it, it, it resonated with me just, it had never stopped when it came out in the 90s. And it's all about uh, unlearning hate, uh, unlearning uh, stereotypes, uh, you know, uh, unlearning racism and sexism and homophobia. And, and, and that's what I stand for. And, and it's, I, I think hate is learned. I think nobody's born hating anybody. I love Dennis Leary's line on that. It's, it's you know, my two-year-old hates naps. End of list. Like, right? We just we we we're taught, and I I, I just. So uh, I, I wanted to ask you about that. Learn teaching is hard. Yeah. We've got a whole lot of teachers to listen to our podcast. A ton yeah. of parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles, all striving to teach and inspire mm -hmm. and encourage and equip the the youth to do even better. Teaching's hard. Learning is hard. But I think the thing that is even harder than learning is unlearning. Yeah. Give me some ideas and give our listeners and viewers some ideas on how we can unlearn what we have learned to be true. I, I, I've gone, honestly, John, I've gone through this in the past 14 months, the pandemic. I've done a lot of unlearning about myself as well, because 
you know, it's one thing to put a tattoo on your forearm, right? Say it, and it's a good conversation piece. And uh, but that's that can be superficial. That can be, you know, that can be demonstrative. That can be, you know, just showing, hey, look at me. And that's and and all that's part of the reason I have it on my arm to start those conversations. That's why that's why you put anything on your. I can't see the tattoo. I can see it in the camera, but I can't see like I, I don't see it. I forget <laughs> it's there, right? Like I have half sleeves on both arms and I have a, a Gandhi quote on, on my forearm here. With the Gandhi quote because I love it. Yeah, that my life is my message. Yeah, I got that because when I went to Delhi to do a talk, I went to his ashram where he was um, assassinated and uh, walked his final steps and went into, and it was for some reason, for some insane reason, myself and my friend of mine who I'd met on Twitter, who was from Toronto but lived in India, we were the only two people there. That is unheard of at this spot. And I just stood and right over, beside his deathbed and on the wall was this quote and i just said yep it's good that's it and that's so resonated with me but with unlearn and unlearning things like i come from a family of teachers um i was a college professor for a better part of a decade uh, my mom's a retired teacher and and teaching is the teaching is hard and and um and i'm not a teacher like i'm meaning like uh, elementary and high school mm -hmm. and it's, it's so hard and and so unappreciated and so underpaid and so like i i can't the number of gofundmes i donated to this year for school supplies for this it breaks my freaking heart and teaching though one of the things is you gotta get people to stop for a second and listen it's very hard to do including myself john like including me where i lacked a lot of self-awareness before this all and I stopped for a second and and I remember and I, I you know one of the things I was talking to to Allison about is like for me so my life was on the road my life's been on the road forever like that's what I do I go to events I go talk and I, and I come speak. home yeah that's what I do and I, I I'm home you know when I'm home I'm home I don't do consulting I don't do any other stuff so when I'm home luckily I get to be home but when I'm on the road I'm gone and it's like it's like doing stuff around the house when the pandemic hits and you're like you know, I want to help. I want to do things. And Allison looks at me and she goes, I don't want you to help. It's our job. Helping is like, Hey, I'll help right. I'll do a favor. And I'm and I, and I heard that and I'm like, Whoa, okay. Truly listening instead of waiting for your turn to talk hmm. is a huge, huge thing. It's just opened up my brain. Honestly, it's opened up my brain. Like that whole active listening thing we learn in schools or sometimes in school where it's not about trying to think of what you're going to say next, but just listening and, and, and listening to them and saying, oh, what about this? And asking more questions and going there and wanting to be better. This is it. Like just in like in even relationships, right? Totally. If Allison is my significant other, should she not be treated significantly better than everybody else? Isn't that the term significant? other instead of the one you unload you know your your day your your this your stress your this or they're the one you see the most so they're the ones that get the brunt if you're stressed about stuff i i just i adore her to the end of the earth and she needs to be treated significant and she doesn't demand it or want it but i'm like what else can i do to be a better father stepfather husband and human then that's my goal now i'm i'm that's now my goal is to be what i can do to be better at at everything. I don't mean skill wise on stage. I don't mean that. And it's nothing to do with business. I just want to be a better human as much as I can and, and be open to that feedback to those that I trust and love to give it.
there's uh, 43 podcasts within your short answer to how do you unlearn something? So <laughs> rather than trying to unpack all 43 of those, why don't we talk about Allison? Yeah. You know, yeah. you, you write about her, you brag about her, you do a podcast with her. She's your partner. She's the mother of your children. You're raising five kids together. You're, you're doing life together. Now you're stuck in a pandemic storm together. And yet she's still the one that um, she's still the one as the old song from the eighties, you know, she's still the one. What is it about Allison that you were attracted to originally? And, and what is it that has magnified and multiplied that attraction subsequently? It's so over my uh, shoulder here, there's a white piece of paper on the wall. And that's actually the first tweet I ever sent her. That's awesome. So we met on Twitter and anybody ever goes to me and says, you know, what's the ROI of social media? I'm like, I win, <laughs> I win. And, and it was, oh, where do I start? It's something that I didn't know somebody like her existed. And it's something where I connect on every plane, on every level. And so we met on Twitter. And it was back then on Twitter, like I had, so the recession had hit. And at the time I had my viral video agency. And when the recession hit, nobody was in uh, the market for $10,000 slideshows. And so, you know, my market went poof. And I was arrogant at the time. I wasn't doing any marketing, any kind of, it was just all word of mouth. We did like 60 client movies over the six, seven years. It was just easy. It was, I had like a 90% uh, profit margin on these things. I had it all farmed out to people to do it. I played Xbox for two years. Like I did, it was easy. easy. Yeah. And then I went bankrupt. So there we go. And it was just like, okay. So I, I said, look, I just, I, you know, I had, uh, uh, my son was young and, I had a stepson from uh, my previous marriage, and then I just like I have to do something. I ha I believe in people. I believe in community. I've been on message boards and forums and IRC and ICQ and everything else. Like I've been a geek. I've been online since '94, and I just I'm like I, I believe in the power of community, and virtually we can do it that way. So I joined Twitter, and I didn't like it at first, and I'm like that's ah, not for me. And the typical marketing guy thing, you know, if I don't like it, then it shouldn't be. Nobody should use it. I'm like, no. So in, 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 I decided, okay, all I have is time right now. Right. And, but you know, I couldn't really going out too much. I'm, I was a single dad. And so I, I'm like, I go on the computer and I'm like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to live on Twitter for 30 days. I had 1200 followers at that time when I, uh, the previous year and at 1200 followers, I tweeted 7,000 times in a month and I went from 1200 followers to 10,000. And I'm like, huh, there's something here. And I kept talking and what happened was at night I put the kids to bed and then I would go on Twitter. It was just what I wanted to do. And I would go and I would spin tunes using blip FM called myself DJ Twitterlicious. And it was me and a lot of moms. It's just the way it worked out. And it was just a group of us that we all just came at night and we had played DJ, uh, Rob bass and DJ easy rock. A little, it takes two, a little joy and pain, whatever they throw it in there little spinderella with salt and pepper whatever it was and we just enjoy it. it was just to release stress and i started talking and then i had noticed allison and one of the things i had offered on um at the time was i would do these uh un audits we'd call them and we'd look at their website and their marketing materials and we'd just give feedback so we had booked it with allison we had got to know each other a little bit online and, and she sent me a dm she said would you look at my stuff and she ran a company called nummies nursing bras she had a maternity lingerie company she decided to start this company because she noticed that all of the, all nursing bras and all maternity were, were almost dysfunctional and they were just ugly. She says that women should feel beautiful when they're nursing because it's a beautiful thing. And 
So she went, she's the real entrepreneur out of the two of us, by the way. She went to Shenzhen, China and looked at factories. She went like, she's, she got her bra in bras in over a hundred independent stores in North America on foot. Like going like, she is the entrepreneur of the two of us. I give my opinion on things for the most part. And, and so she, she inquired, she said, would you look at my stuff? And I'm like, yeah, of course. I love this group of people. And Allison was funny and I was like, awesome. And so we decided to meet at a place called Williams Coffee Pub, which is up the street. She got lost uh, and she, she almost didn't come because she felt bad. She was a little bit late and she was almost did it over the phone, but she's figured it out and she came and she walked out on the patio and I just went, uh-oh. And I knew the moment she walked out on the patio and smiled, I'm like, I'm gonna marry her. <laughs> and because I already knew her from Twitter. Right. So I knew she was smart and she was funny and she just, it was just like, we, we really connected. And then she walked and I was like, Oh, she's gorgeous. And she, and we sat down and we talked for eight and a half hours and we never talked about her website. I never did. I still haven't done the review. <laughs> <laughs> and unaudited for quite a while. And, Sorry. Allison. Oh man. And it was it, that was it. And we became best friends. And then what happened? I got the book deal front marketing yeah. uh, um, in 2009. It was going to come out in fall 2010. And I started writing the book and it was just this jumble mess of of written vomit. It was just like collection of everything. I was speak to speech to text, this thing, uh, transcripts of a bunch of talks I did, all these things. And I'm like, I'm screwed. And I'm talking to Allison at the time on Blackberry Messenger. And she's like, how's the book coming along? And I'm like, I'm screwed. I have 38,000 words. I'm out of words. Every word in, in, in human history is in there and I'm out and I owe them 60,000 words. I don't know what to do. And she says, send it over. I'll take a peek. I had no idea she was a writer. And she's like, do you mind if I fiddle around with it? And I'm like, please. And what would happen? We'd go meet at a coffee shop and she, would and she goes, you mentioned this. What do you mean by that? I'm like, well, everybody knows what that means. She's like, humor me. And I'm just like, okay. Like whatever she said I'd do. Then I'm like, okay. I just started talking and she just started typing. And it turned into the book you see. And we submitted it and there was like almost zero edits. Like, cause she's like a writer editor. And yeah. and she wrote the book. My biggest fear with a book was it wouldn't sound like it was in my voice. That was my biggest concern with going to a publisher. It was my biggest concern going to the written word. Like I got known on Twitter because of the pithiness and then my, my that's what I focus. Like I can do 140 characters, no problem back in the day. And, but you know, long form wasn't my thing. I can do video all day long. I can talk all day long, but writing is, I just don't want the focus for it. And, uh, or I haven't tried to get the focus on it. And I was, I, I never believe of, of improving a lot of weaknesses. I always talk about building on your strengths and, 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 and bringing people in your team that can help those weaknesses. And so Allison mm -hmm. came in, did it, submitted it. And then I, I booked a, a 30 city unbook tour, uh, based on one tweet that June. I'm like, who wants to stop on the tour? Uh, you had to pre-order a hundred books, fly me there and put me up. But the reason why you had to fly me there and put me up was I had no money at the time, but I knew I had a belief and I did 30 cities stepped up and I did it. And I honestly don't, I did not stop speaking after that tour until the pandemic. That's like, that's where the momentum started and it's I never amazing. stopped and that, and Allison and now it's six books. And so I retroactively went back and we changed the ISBN to put her as a co-author um, because she would she helped and edit, she just made the book the way it is in my voice. It was incredible. And I didn't realize that she literally had to like bring her writing a level down to get to my voice. Right. 
like I see what she writes now. Like she's in a master's program and I, I look at her academic writing. I'm like, I don't even understand most of these words. It's amazing. And, and then now it's six books and she does the writing. I do the yelling on stage and we do the show and it's like doing it. We, we've taken this year off with the show, but we did, we've done over 300 episodes uh, of the show and it is, it, it is not, I, we joked about being work and not work. It's not work, man. It's, it's my favorite thing to do is sit across the table and listen to my incredible business partner and wife and muse give me thoughts on things that are just angles I don't look at or think about. And I am I am fascinated by her. I am more attracted to her now than I've ever been and I'm more in love with her now than I've ever been. And I didn't think I could have this love that we had for, at the start, let alone now in building. I am a lucky, lucky man. You're making some people on this podcast just, you're making others angry and uh, I'm <laughs> remembering all these emotions right now. For those of us in a relationship, we'll just be very direct about this. Yeah. What is, what is one thing that you've done well in the relationship so that you're even more in love today than you were yesterday? Because as you know, most of us say the words I do and big old smile on our face and everything is perfect and everybody's around and we raise the champagne glasses high. And at some point thereafter, it becomes, I have to, mm. and it, that, that, that brilliant love begins to fade a little bit. And yeah. the way we see them and they see us begins to fade a little bit. Clearly the way you're talking about Allison, you, you're more in love now than you were when you said I do a Absolutely. decade ago, Absolutely. what are you doing now? That's, that's allowing that to happen. Well, I think one of the things that, that really has helped originally too, was understanding our having open communication start so like for myself like english isn't my first language sarcasm is like literally sarcasm is my literal language and uh very early on you know i i teased her about something and she looks at me and just goes i don't like to be teased and i'm like yep okay put that in the pocket <laughs> and i realized that sarcasm is not a language of endearment and it it i think sarcasm is one of the great eros uh, erosions of relationships mm that it's funny at the start, but when it's pointed, it, it just erodes. It just, and, it, and, and with erosion, then why I say erosion is it's not like one thing. It's just the buildup over That's time, right. over the years. And remembering the fact that when I walk into a room with Allison, that nobody can treat her better. There might be people taller, better looking, more money, different this, different that. Ain't nobody treating her better. Mm. And, and that's what it's, but it's been, it's, it's that work on it where it's a reminder of those type of things. Like I walk by a dish sitting on a table, like right here and I walk by and like, for me, I'm just like, well, it doesn't matter. I'll leave it there. I'll pick it up in a day or two. But if, if I say to myself, will that make Allison happy? Or will it make her just frustrated? Like anybody seeing that sitting there, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be a contribution to the bad side of it. So I just take it and go. And that's, that's where it's always keeping in the front of mind. And every day, almost every day we see each other, you and me, right? Like we're in this together, especially in a pandemic, but it, we also give permission that she has to call me out on something, but for me to truly listen to her. And she just has to say one thing to me, which is like something like same side. Mm -hmm. We're on the same side and I can, I can dig my heels in. I can be very stubborn. And I'm looking at this saying, no, if I love her and I trust her, and shouldn't she also get the benefit of the doubt, the significantly better treatment and, and, and your trust. I trust her. I trust her implicitly with both mm -hmm. of my, because the three youngest are her children. The two oldest are mine. So we had a merger 
I almost went into a bit there. I almost went into the whole, you know, <laughs> all right. It was more of a hostile takeover. We had to let a few kids go. Yeah, that whole bit I do on stage. But but truly, we merged. And that's also hard, you know, when you're merging families together and you're, it's a mixed family. And and, it was, and it's something that um, I just, from the get-go, I wasn't here to parent her kids. Right? I was here to support, right? And I have my kids and, and it's worked out real well. And I listen to her because I trust her. Her, her judgment and things and her opinion on stuff. And I really want to know the answer on things. I think that's important. Scott, your brand on marketing leverages your ability to beautifully use social media. Started with a hundred followers and then a thousand and 1200. Then you went up to 10,000 and onward from there. Now you're hundreds of thousands of followers and millions of views. Mm. I'll be honest, man, since November, since this disruptive event in American uh public life, what's happening between the Democrat and the Republican party and between the left and the right and how it's splitting families and communities and everything else. I pulled back from social. I just, to me, it was so cancerous that I have, I have not been actively leaning into social and my social handles all about love and life and unity and faithfulness and coming back together. And for me, just, I've been putting stuff out there and then stepping away from it, not engaging. You reminded me, as you always do, about, hey, if you want to see this thing grow, if you want to touch last it, you've got to invest. So for those of us who feel a little turned off by social media lately, what would you say to us who uh, pulled away from it for a while? Look, look, pull away, pull away. Like, I, I Look, first of all, you don't have to be doing anything on social. It's one of the things I say on stage to people, too. It's one of the most, you see this big, their shoulders drop, and it's a sigh of relief. Yeah. Right. I don't, you don't, there's nothing's mandatory in that way too, that you, you, you have the right, you have the right to close these things off, to, to turn them off, to remove them from your phone or take off an account. If it's not serving a purpose that leads to what you need, maybe it helped a year ago. Maybe it's not helping now. It's okay to change that. I took Twitter off my phone. That's a line I never thought I'd say in my life. Twitter's the reason. Like I, I was the biggest person on Canada on Twitter and one of the top in North America. And then Justin Bieber showed up and screwed. Her I up. hate Bieber for lots right? of reasons. That's the oh. primary one, though. Oh. He knocked you down one notch. That's it. That's and that's my big my big issue with the Biebs. You know, I, just, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I think he's a great songwriter and and we're pr- the pride of Stratford, which is fairly close to where I live. And I get that, but come on, man. But it's it's I t- I took Twitter off my phone. I deleted Facebook. I re- I, I left Facebook, and this is my bread and butter disruption and social it's much more so 2010 to 2015 with social media but i I shifted my topic to more about disruption because i felt Mm -hmm. social media was more of a in general what most people understood it was it existed not may not understand how to use it well but existed and it moved from a keynote topic to more of a breakout or a workshop right so i went overall disruption but i left facebook and i removed twitter from my phone if i can do that with my ego and my industry and like I live in these places and I'm known for these places, then I uh, most people can. And you go back and you decide, I go on Twitter on the computer here and I'll check it once a day and I'll see it. And if it's not serving us, it's not. So I find the things where it can fill my cup. You, we need these things right now. We so need these things right now. What fills my cup? Well, Instagram fills it more. I understand that it, Facebook owns both Facebook and Instagram. I left Facebook for multiple reasons. One, I, I, I don't like the company as a whole. Um, and I, but I also don't like what I was reading. Now, mind you, we create our own noise. It's who we follow. It's who we connect with. It's who we do it. And the algorithm goes in there. But it was just like, you know, if, it, if I'm going to, I'm going to walk my talk and I'm going to walk away from there, but I still get joy out of this place. Yeah. So I'm going to, so I, I like to scroll and enjoy. And I have a couple of games in my phone and I enjoy that. 
but you have to be able to find those things controlling because I know in my brain now where if I'm getting more, a little more anxious about something, I'm, I'm going downhill on something, then I know those spots. Like music for me is one of the biggest things that gets that can change my brain and put it back in the right mood. And I have playlists on Spotify that's like unwind and relax with the un, because it's, you know, it's branding, but unwind and relax, which used to be called my relaxed jackass mix because of the jackass whisperer when the book was launched. Um, but I have like a heavy metal mix. I have a, a, a good dance slash hip hop mix when I'm walking the dogs and I can strut and walk them out there. And I have my relaxed one. It used to be what I listened to on a flight because I used to get stressed on planes, not because I was stressed about flying or anything. I, this human stressed me because I, I just, I just, we forget, we, we forget how to behave. Probably knew that. Yes. Right. You know what? We, we, we learn how to figure out how to behave when we go on these planes. And so the kids it's, and it's and, gotten worse since you last boarded a plane, I think my friend. So I put, I put on my headphones, I put on my relaxed mix and I would just play a tower defense game on my iPad. And that's how I started every flight because if I didn't, these are my mind your own business. The earphones are my mind your own business pods, you know, where, because you ask any of our kids, I have this move. It's almost like a, a, a flamingo or a crane where I'd hear something and it goes, Bloop. I start turning and my, and my, my son Owen would elbow me and be like, dad, headphones. I'd be like, Oh, sorry. You know, I'd be, you know, looking into everybody else's business and that's where it just focused me. And I got my Zen that way. And you know, that's, that's what works for me. And it's what remember it has to be within your control. You have to be able to do totally. yourself itself. And I taking off notifications on my phone too. I did this Huge. years ago. I don't get audio notifications. The only ones I get is a text from Allison or one of the kids. And also they know, and they all, they all have their own sound. So they know it tells them they're important to me. And like Allison knows she's important to me, but the, especially the kids too, that when I, they, it'll buzz and that's it. No, no tweets, not email, nothing. Unfortunately, we're we're running out of runway. You did write another book that I really enjoy called The Jackass Whisperer. <laughs> so I'm going to set this up with a little bit of a, a lean-in story. When my wife and I struggle with our kids, which is you know, every moment we're with our children. So, th so there's <laughs> that going on. When we struggle on a road trip or whatever else it, it might be, uh, we lean in and look at each other and say, uh, you know, down by the river. And it reminds us of Chris Farley in this ridiculous scene where he's the motivational speaker. And when you see Farley like, don't buy the red, you, you just laugh and you love and you feel joy in your heart because you realize that you can't take that seriously. You, you honestly cannot take Chris, Chris Farley seriously. Never. So when we begin to get a little derailed around the dinner table or whatever's happening in life, we're like, oh, 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 down by the river. And it settles us. And it reminds us to control the things we can and let go of the things we cannot. It's centering. Yeah. Yeah. It is it. so it. good though. And it makes us laugh actually in the midst of a little bit of a storm. Yeah. You sometimes will make the noise of a donkey. So will you tell me when you are driving, I heard this on your most recent podcast, when you are driving, when someone cuts you off or says hello to you, uh, tell, telling you that you're number one, why do you make the, the donkey noise in the vehicle? I do one of two things. I do the donkey or I just start singing my anger. Either way, I can't stay serious. And uh, it's like, you know, you can turn right on red. Now I just want you dead. Like, you know, I'll just start singing whatever's frustrating me and I can't keep myself serious. But the donkey, so the, 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 the jackass was where has its own origin, very quick story. And this is from Twitter as well in 2010, I think it was 2011. And just randomly on Twitter, somebody tweeted and said, I just watched uh, 10 minutes of an unmarketing, so my handle, uh, an unmarketing speaking video online and didn't shoot myself in the face. Somebody should give me a cookie. It was random. It was out of nowhere. And I know this person. 
It was in tr- a person in Toronto. And I'm, I'm like, dad, why would you write? It wasn't my dad. Uh, there's the bit, right? There's the bit part. Um, right. but I was waiting like, for Allison. Allison. Yeah. Yeah. So I, so I, so I DM them, but, but also though, Allison's never the brunt of my jokes. That's the, the best thing, right? It's always like, never, she's never the punchline. She's never the brunt and she never gets teased, which is why she'd never be the punchline. And that I don't even want to joke that she's yeah. doesn't treat me well. Cause my angel. So I DM them on Twitter. I'm like, man, why the drive by? Like why the hate? He replied publicly and he's like, it's not hate, it's just fact, deal with it. And he gave me a deal with it before that became a meme. And uh, I'm like, what? Somebody else DM me and says, why don't you kill him with kindness? Why don't you win him over? And I said in the DM, uh, my job isn't to rehabilitate jerks online. I'm not the jackass whisperer. And I'm like, you know what? I like that. And so I tweeted it just in general. I didn't direct it at the person because I'm also not giving them any exposure or reach that way. And it just resonated and it caught on. And that's what we use is, you know, surrounded. So Alice and I will say, so our word to each other, sometimes when we're getting frustrated with people, we just look at each other and just like surrounded. And so we know that, which is means surrounded by jackasses, right? And it was just a word for us, but in the car, that's what they are to me. And it's just a bunch of donkeys. And so I just, yeah, I can just give a, 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 a yaw and I can just give the sound and nobody can take you seriously when you're screeching a donkey sound either. Right. And that's just the donkey alarm. And I always, that's, that's my line. When I start getting involved in something that's none of my business or it's none of my concern and I'm working on this, I have this super superhero complex, you know, that I am working on it. I remember when my, my therapist told me about what I have that, that complex and I'm, and I, I just went right into a James, James Acaster bit that I'll butcher, which is like never before have I been so offended by something I 100% agreed with. You know, and that was exactly that, that point. Right. And, and that's where it, it's, it's something that I always say, it's just not my farm, not my donkeys, which is a play off the whole, not my circus, not my monkeys, but it's like not my farm, not my donkeys. And it reminds me just to center again, because otherwise the car is just a place that it's just like, you can get so mad in yeah, these things totally. and they're all, and we don't honk to avoid accidents. We don't, we, we honk to tell you I'm angry. You need to know. Right. And I just like, uh, no, I'm, I'm working on creating a horn where you can actually have it speak to the car. <laughs> My first will be get off your phone. And I, I may put a curse word in there too, but like, I cannot tell you how angry because we, you and I as speakers meet a lot of people on the road who open up their hearts and share their stories. And many, many, many people that I've met have shared the story of their children being in accidents hit by someone else who was on their phone. And then as you drive around Toronto, St. Louis, wherever it might be, people are looking down rather than up. And so I want to have a, not only hee-haw sound on my car horn, but get off your phone, man, get off your phone. I almost wanted to do an LED screen in the rear, the rear window and just whatever tech and it's out there, you know, whatever text you want to come up. That's doable. Press a button and be like that. And I forgot that St. Louis was on one of the stops on the unbook tour. And I got to speak in uh, the duck room. How about that? Cool. Oh, Oh my goodness, the Chuck Berry experience. And it was just like, so I love me some St. Louis. I actually have wow. a shirt. So that space, Louis. for those of us not from St. Louis, there's this cool little bar called Blueberry Hill right there in U City, where I spent a couple of years of my life. Probably the coolest bar there is the one where you did your uh, your book tour. So the Duck Room is a cool place where uh, a lot of phenomenal musicians and authors have shared their talents. So, so good. we have seven questions that we tether all of our phenomenal guests together with. But before I get there, I do need you to, because listen, man, I spent two years on a farm. So I know what is a good donkey noise and what is not, what sounds like a proper hee-haw <laughs> and what is just a, a poor man's rendition of it. So before we get into the final Live Inspired 7, Scott, mm-hmm. give me your best hee-haw and then we'll get into question yeah, number one. All right. Okay. I got you. Ready? 
That's solid. Thank you. Scott Stratton, question number one from the Live Inspired Seven is what is the most influential book you've ever read? Oh, it's a tie. Uh, the last lecture. Wow. I loved, Man. I loved, and it's it's also, you know, close to home of when I got speaking and the, the last lecture, but also permission marketing from Seth Godin. Why? Because that led to giving me, per, literally gave me permission to do on marketing because I, I, I struggled, like there's gotta be a better way. It can't just buy, be buy or goodbye. And I read that on one flight. Mm. I landed and I'm like, I'm gonna do it. And that opened it up for me, really, truly did. We, we had Seth on a couple of weeks ago and I, I think there's so much overlap in a beautiful way between the work that you're doing with marketing and the work that Seth does with, with his understanding of marketing. Mm. It's highly complimentary. What, what is one positive characteristic or one trait that you possessed as a kid growing up on the outskirts of Toronto that you wish you exhibited as brilliantly today? Mm. I'm working on this, but uh, curiosity. Hmm. Uh, I'm, 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 on a, I'm on the revenge tour of bringing curiosity back. Um, I was a very curious child. I would read encyclopedias. I just sat there and read them. My mom would ask my mom. She would just, I'd just sit there and read it all day. And I go, I'm getting back into that much more now. Just curiosity, just keeping curious because sometimes you get a little too big for your own britches and you're just like, yeah. well, I'm now here just to teach and tell instead of learn. And I'm back to learning and, and being curious. Mm. Well, when you forget, look in the mirror, hold up your right arm and be reminded. Amen. We got to unlearn what we thought we knew to become far better versions of ourselves going forward. Amen. Question number three, if your home caught fire, Allison, the kids, the animals are all out safe. You're outside safe now as well. And you have an opportunity to run back into the burning house and grab one item. What's the one thing you come racing back out with? The family's passports. Tell me because why. We, because traveling with the family and experiencing things is our everything. And I think life is about experience. And mm -hmm. I think that um, we don't buy them, uh, well, especially before all this, but we don't, we don't buy a lot of material things for them. We do a lot of experiences and, uh, and, and, uh, the, and me being on the road and speaking half the reason for that is so we could go do those experiences and, <laughs> and we still, we, we still talk about them. I am totally. close with all five of the kids and they age and rate, they range in age from 15 to 24 now. And I have an incredible, so, so lucky to have a relationship with them and and part of that is also experiences and we get to reminisce about those things and talk about it. remember men, remember when, remember when that has more value to me than anything. And everything else is material. Everything else, like we've gotten all the old photos scanned and put up and we can print them again. We can do this, but I know we can get new passports, but if this, if it burned down, I'm like, where do you guys want to go now? So qu question three B is from the places you've been in the past. Remember when, remember when, mm -hmm. what is the, the place, that moment where you're like, gosh, I'm just so glad I got my, these five kids and Allison near me. What, what was the tour that you would go back to? Oh, we, uh, we rented a place in Costa Rica for new year's a couple of years ago and all of them were there. And it's hard because you have, you know, different stepkids and different kids oh. and all their stuff and they get older and they have school, they have university and they go away. We had all five of them with us and we all sat out there and I just looked at them and they all, you know, almost all are at adulthood. Well, 15, you know, you get in there, but you know, looking at Allison, just saying we made it, mm. we got here from bankruptcy to, you know, just life to everything else. And between it was, you know, I, you know what, Costa Rica will be second, but first is it honestly is here, John, honestly, that I had, I told you I've not been home forever 
you know, and uh, I would be 150 days on the road a year, home for a couple hundred of them, but I'm always going, coming and going. This 14 months, and it's, I'm try, I, I really want to word it right, but it's hard. These 14 months, I feel like I've stolen time because I've got to have time with all of them. They were all under this roof and I wasn't supposed to have this time anymore. My two were both moving away and out. Allison's three were all starting to move away and out. And you, you're not allowed to get time back. There's the one thing we can't fix, we can't change, we can't do no matter how much money or effort. And I felt like I got it back. Mm. I'm closer with them than I've ever been. I'm home and I wanna be home a lot now. I love it. I love it during this terribleness, during this, there's been this, this one part of it, it's been, I've gotten, it's, and it's very selfish. I've gotten time with the kids that I never thought I'd get. When, in the ages that we do, you don't get it. Right. And, and the, only, the only drawback is they can really whoop me in basketball. Not like when they were in kids and they couldn't. And now I don't even, I, I'm seventh ranked in the household now. It's brutal. You know what, that's, uh, that's about as good as it gets. I appreciate you being so honest in that answer. Yeah. And like you, a speaker who used to spend a lot of time on the road, it has been such an unexpected blessing. Yeah, some challenges, no doubt. Of course. But a blessing not only to be there for Beth, my wife, and our four kids, but for me, my mom and dad. So I was talking to my mom today, and and uh, they see me a lot. They see me so much more now and have over the last 14 months than they did for the probably 14 years leading up to it. Mm. So we've stolen some time, and I'm not giving it back. So no. that, that was cool. No, no receipt, no refund, no nothing. I'm right on it. And I'm so selfish with it. And I love every, and it's the point where I want to do less gigs going forward. And it never was like that before. I just do the gigs as they come. I love it. Keep going, keep going, keep going. I'm like, nope, not anymore. So moving forward into the questions, if you could sit on a bench on a gorgeous Canadian brisk day and have a long conversation with anybody living or dead, who do you want to be seated next to? My grandfather. Why grandpa? Uh, oof. Uh, let's see if I can get through this. Um, He's just, he's my hero. He's, um, uh, I, so I saw I have two half sleeves yeah. on my arms here and one of them is all him. So it's a, it's a memorial, uh, arm for him. So it's his, uh, it's his queen's own rifle regiment, his police badge. Um, and then there's a, a poppy unless we forget on here. <laughs> and there's a Scotland flag and a Canada flag wrapping it. Um, and this is all family as well, but he gets his whole arm. I think one of the reasons, John, that I, I really value this time in this 14 months is you look back and, and, and we lost him a lot. Like he, he met Owen when Owen was born and he passed shortly thereafter. So it was what, 19 years ago. And I never took the time to truly listen. You know what I mean? When, when, when your grandkid and their grandparents tell you stories, and you're like, well, there goes grandpa again, telling a story. And you're just like, you'd listen. So, you know, and then you'd be there, but I really, I, I didn't ask follow-up questions. I didn't do any of these things. And I really, really, um, just an afternoon. Mm. I have a lot of questions for him. I would really like to, I just want to hear his thoughts on things. And I thought, and, and I get it from my mom. I'm very close to my mom now. And I've been for a very long time. And, uh, I just want his take on things. And that's, that's the thing now is listen now, listen to your parents, your grandparents, ask the stories, tell them, cause you never know. And the last thing you want is, this, is the story to, to die with them. So good. Because we can honor them. What's the best advice your grandfather, who sounds like a remarkable guy, your mother, any other teacher in your life, whoever it may have been, Allison, kids, mm -hmm. what's the best advice you've ever received? Uh, just keep going from my mom. Um, you know, we've been through a, a lot and, mm -hmm. uh, and my kids have been through a lot and they lost their mom a long time ago. And 
And, and my mom's been through a lot. She's a trooper and she is just like my grandfather and my nanny, which is my grandmother. Um, and it was just one, one thing a day, one step at a time. And just all you got to do is put one foot, then the other, then the other, then the other. And it gave me a focus. And uh, I live by that. And then and, and it carries through to today. Tonight, Alice and I will be in bed and we'll look at each other and say, we did it <laughs> today. We got it. What was good? What did you do? What did you get out of it? What did I do? And I'll do that tomorrow night too. Right? We did it. And And that's for everybody listening right now. This is too much. It's all too much. And so every day, I want you to give yourself credit because you did it. You did it. Come on, man. This is just like life lessons brought to you by Scott Stratton so, <laughs> and grandpa and mom and Allison and everybody else who is part of the life. But you, you did do it. And to end the day with what happened good, what did you learn? That's what's well, a beautiful way to put a wrapping uh, bow on a day. So if you, uh, if you don't, then negativity is far too, it's much more malleable, much more, it can just come into anything. Back in November, Scott, I, I, I stopped actively engaging with social because it was it seemed to me to be all negative i can't control it that's right i certainly control my exposure to it and my contribution to it mm. what advice would you give your 20 year old self this kid is promoting bands and everything else you were doing back in the day what, what advice would you whisper into your own ears oh uh grow a real beard um <laughs> you've done it man the old version of that little boy took it took the advice <laughs> honestly john it, it's Outside of things like with my grandfather and stuff like that, I really think it would it would just be encouragement. It would be keep going because mm. I was on the right track. And the thing is, the track is not a track, right? You know that. I know that. It's not a road. It's not a lane. And you just go on it, right? It's just all over the place. But if you have the passion and you put the work in and the time, it can lead you to where you want to go. And that for me was being on stage. And regardless if I was a human resources generalist somewhere or a national sales training manager of a bubble wrap company, I knew I'd get here. I knew I'd get here because this is the only thing I ever wanted to do. And I put a passion and kindness and effort because I think everything in success and business and life is a combination of luck, timing, skill, and effort. And you can only control two of those. By effort, you're getting more skill. And But I, I, I know, I know out of all my entire life, the more effort I've put in, the more skills I've obtained, the luckier I get and the timing works out better. What leads perfectly into the seventh and final question for our friend, Scott Stratton, which is, it has been said that all great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. Scott Stratton, how would you like your one sentence to read? I so want to say we the North right now. I so want to give a shout out to my Raptors. I so want to just get represent them because like that's a that's our line and we have a flag. Of, it says we the North. I won't. You can. I know, but mm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't. It's just you know what I. I, I mm. and for the non NBA fans out there, Scott's celebrating his team. We don't have one in St. Louis, so we got to look north to to follow a little basketball. Uh, you got some pretty. You got a couple sweet sports teams. They you know they just keep them in town and um i uh, <laughs> i never got to see the rams play there i was dying to one of the one of the things is i'm sorry i'm ranting here i get to, i don't get to talk to anybody john so i'm i just i'm sorry i'm rambling and going over your time john am i sitting too long in your left leg let me switch sides <laughs> on the wall on the other side of the basement here i have four um plaques four things which are scratch off and they are all the stadiums for the four major sports 
and I've done about half of all sports and stadiums and stuff. I love uh, venues. I love sport. I love the sports industry. I love the music industry. Oh. I love the behind the scenes stuff of it. And so that so St. Louis upsets me because I never got to see the, the Rams play there. Um, I've, I have seen baseball there, both in the old uh, Bush Stadium oh, cool. and the new one. Um, one of the base, best baseball cities I've been to. Um, so kudos to that. Uh, but at the end of the day, um, I honestly, honestly, honestly think that, um, uh, I, you know what, I'm, I'm just, I'm frozen in my brain of where I want to go with it because, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to say this because this sums up on marketing as well. I'm going to butcher the line, but it's do unto others what you, what, whatever you like touch yourself because on marketing was based on not being hypocritical was based on not being the people you hate to being and i do that the same way in person i think that nobody has a right to be better than somebody else nobody has a right to treat people beneath them and i think that we need to if we if we could just do that treat others as we'd like to be treated we would be in so much of a different place right now and i try to do that every day treat others the way you'd like to be treated. I think Done. some other phenomenal teacher may have whispered out that same advice. Other encouragement that you gave us earlier that I actually wrote down, if you believe business is built on relationships, make building relationships your business. Scott, you've done a phenomenal job, not only utilizing that quote and living that quote, but teaching it to a, an audience that I think is longing for more authentic, more life-giving relationships, not only corporately, but intimately. I want, I want to thank you for the work, for the influence, for being part of our podcast and not part of our Live Inspired community. Uh, the, the pleasure is absolutely all my job. I don't get to talk about a lot of this stuff usually. So it's it's right. a, a absolute pleasure to be able to chat with us. I appreciate you having me on. I have every confidence that the grandfather who may not have been heard clearly by his grandson years ago is looking down incredibly proud of the work that you're doing and the manner in which you're doing it. It it really does matter. So uh, thank thank you. you. Give Allison a hug for us. And uh, when this podcast comes out, you better not make any jackass noises in the background. (laughs) Done. My friends, that is Scott Stratton. My name is John O'Leary. And today is your day. Live inspired. And now, a word from our friends at Keeley Companies. Keeley Companies aspires to be a true leader for businesses and communities. In the words of their CEO, my friend, his name is Rusty Keeley, with a world-class culture focused on people and customer-centric approach, we're truly in the business of people. Check more out about Keeley Companies at KeeleyCompanies.com.